Hello and welcome to St. Paul's United Methodist Church's Sermon Podcast. I'm Pastor Mike Agnew, and it's great to have you listening to our sermons on our podcast. If you'd like to learn more about our church, you can go to our website at www.cherokeemethodist.com. There you can find out about many of the different events that are going on this month, and you can also get access to our newsletter. If you'd like to check us out in person, we have Sunday School at 9 a.m. and Worship at 1010. Now today, we are continuing our Advent Sermon series, in which we are looking at what some of the different Christmas hymns have to teach us about Christmas itself. Today's hymn is Love Came Down at Christmas, and the scripture is 1 John chapter 4, verses 7 to 21. Now, Love Came Down at Christmas is a short hymn that drives home a simple and yet profound point. On Christmas, love was born. Not that love didn't exist before, but if God is love and Jesus is the Son of God, then on Christmas, in a very real sense, love was born. Love came down in the incarnation of Jesus Christ. Now, in our scripture reading, it says that God is love. It doesn't say God is like love, or that God has love, or that God loves Those are all true, by the way, but it doesn't say that. It says God is love. In other words, love is the essence of who God is. Interestingly enough, the Bible doesn't use this kind of language for any other attribute of God. It doesn't say God is wrath or God is anger or God is hate. You won't find that because at his core, God is not any of those things. God is love. And if God is love, then love must be behind everything that God has done or is doing. So that's something to keep in mind because sometimes we tend to malign the character of God by making him responsible for things that have no redeeming value. You know, oftentimes we think that God sends sickness or death or suffering or war or drought or you name it as some kind of a punishment for something people have done. But God doesn't work that way. You know, remember, Jesus sent his son Jesus to take care of sin. And so he has no need to punish us for us our sin in that way. Remember, he seeks to save rather than condemn. And so we want to be careful about attributing things to God that are not loving. And by the way, we don't have to somehow convince ourselves that something is loving that really isn't. You know, oftentimes we say, you know, those things I mentioned, death, war, suffering, etc., we attribute to God and then we try to twist the meaning of love to where we can say that what seems really unloving actually is loving. But here's the thing, I think we recognize what love is. I, I, I think we know instinctively what love is. We know it when we experience it, we know it when we see it. And we don't have to try to come up with a twisted definition of what love is. If something is hateful or would be hateful if if somebody like if somebody in your community did it, if we wouldn't consider it loving, we would consider it hateful, then that's true if God does it too. So if we would consider it unloving and hateful if somebody killed someone else or made them sick on purpose then we shouldn't attribute those things to God and call it love. That's not what love is, right? So we want to be careful about 
not doing that. We know what love is, and everything God does is motivated by love. All right, so that's why he sent Jesus. He shows us his love through the gift of Jesus, and Jesus says in the gospel, he came not to condemn the world, but to save it. I wonder sometimes if we really take this seriously. Jesus came not to condemn the world, but to save it. That's why he didn't condemn sinners. Sinners, and I'm using air quotes, referred to those that the religious elites considered sinners. The outsiders, the unchurched, the unreligious, the prostitutes, the tax collectors, you know, stereotypical sinners. And Jesus wanted nothing to do with the idea of pointing out people's sins and condemning them. He was not nearly as concerned with things like that as the religious people were. And that's oftentimes still true today, unfortunately. The church seems way too concerned with pointing the finger at the sins of those who aren't even in the church and don't even profess faith in Christ in the first place. I mean, why would we expect people who don't profess faith in Christ to follow the ways of Christ when we who know Christ have trouble enough as it is? That doesn't make sense. And perhaps some of that comes from the belief that we live in a Christian society, and so we assume most people know Jesus, they are familiar with Jesus, and they know what it means to follow Jesus and to live according to his way, and so we should expect it of everyone, because we're in America. But I'm going to say we are definitely not in a Christian society anymore. And that doesn't mean necessarily it's an evil society, but it's not a Christian society by any means. And I'm not sure that it ever was. It may have seemed that way, you know, before the rise of globalism, before we had as much diversity in America. We've always had freedom of religion, but for much of our American history, we have not really had to test our tolerance for diversity because for the most part, people professed Christ or at least pretended to, right? Because in the past, I wonder if some of it some of the cultural homogeneity or the cultural sameness where everybody seemed to be Christian stemmed at least in part from cultural expectations and pressure in place to make people pretend. And that's not to say some that more people weren't Christians back then. They might have been. But I think at least to some extent, some of the population may have been pretending or just going through the motions because that's what you do. You go to church. Everybody does. It's what's expected, right? And so I, I, I don't know that we were ever a Christian society in the strict sense in the past as much as by cultural expectation. And then when the culture changed and it was no longer culturally expected that you go to church and you do this and you do this and that, then people, a lot of them, no longer had to put up the facade and pretend. And quite frankly, I don't think that's a bad thing. I don't think that we should be encouraging people to pretend that they're Christian or that they follow the way of Christ. And and so... Whether or not we were a Christian society in the past, we definitely are not now. And the idea of the freedom of religion is being tested now more than ever because of the diversity that we have. We have many more people in America who profess other faiths than we have in the past. And so the freedom of religion states that we have to be tolerant of that. 
And so to the extent that we are tolerant of other expressions of faith is the extent to which we are actually living out the American dream as it was originally professed. But it can be uncomfortable. But we are not in a Christian society. And so we cannot expect that people who are not in church, who do not profess Christ, Christ, uh, faith in Christ, should be living according to the way of Christ. And when it comes to pointing out the sins of others, Jesus was much more concerned with hanging out with and getting to know those in the world rather than pointing out their faults. And that's because, again, he came to save, not to condemn. And the world should see the church the same way that people saw Jesus, not as judgmental or condemning or hateful, but as invitational and loving and caring. Jesus has shown us time and time again in the Gospels that that will bring salvation much more readily than trying to convince somebody of how horrible they are and why they need Jesus to save them from something they didn't even know they needed saving from. There's a time to talk about Jesus, sure, but not to point out people's sin and condemn them, but to love them. Love comes from God, so we should love one another, as it says in 1 John. God is where the source of our love comes from. We love because he first loved us and sent his son to save us. I mean, this business of loving others is so important that it indicates whether or not we really know God. Wow. But that's what it says. It says, whoever loves knows God, but whoever does not love does not know God. And anyone who claims to love God but hates his brother or sister is a liar. I mean, that right there tells you what's most important, and it doesn't include your theology. You know, that construct. Our theology, or what we believe about God, is our construct or our lens in order to help us to imperfectly understand who God is. No theology is completely perfect. They all have holes in them. Uh, and so I think that we have to hold our theology uh, with with a little bit of salt in realizing that it doesn't bring us a perfect picture of God, but they all get us there approximately. But I think that sometimes we place so much importance on our theology that we believe we have to agree with people on all the particulars of our theology in order to work with them. But here's the thing. Nowhere in the Gospels will you see Jesus saying that in order to know God, you have to believe that he's the second person of the Trinity, co-equal with the Father and the Spirit, born 100% human and 100% divine, co-eternal with the Father, existing throughout infinity. <laughs> that kind of theology took over 300 years to develop when the Nicene Creed was written in 325 AD, long after the life of Jesus. Doubtful, very doubtful that the disciples or any of the believers in Jesus in the New Testament time period believed in that level of developed theology about Jesus, right? So theology is important, don't get me wrong. And in 1 John, it also says elsewhere that it's important that we acknowledge Jesus as the Son of God. But you can have all the right theology about God and still miss the point if you don't love others. And that's what 1 John is trying to say. It doesn't matter if you went to the altar. It doesn't matter if you read your Bible and pray and study and are involved in church things. Those are important things, but if you don't love others, then you're not following Jesus in any real sense. And following Christ means living as he lived and doing what he said. 
So Jesus is the gift of love that came down at Christmas. And since God is love and he sent his son to save the world instead of condemning it, we are called to do the same. We are called not to condemn, not to point the finger, but to love. And in so doing, we fulfill God's purpose for our lives. Believe me, if you live this out, people will pay more attention to that than to any sermon I could ever hope to preach. Amen. God bless and have a great week.